Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Fantastic. Lots happening, lots to see and do and uh, yeah. I pray that you'll have a great week this week. As we said, we're not going to be here. We're uh, traveling off uh, to Israel, which is really, really exciting. Um, I've been there once before, went there about five years ago, just under. And uh, as you're traveling through there, it's amazing to see the Bible actually come to life, that these stories that we hear about Sunday to Sunday are not just kind of made up stories, but they're based in, in truth. They're based in, in fact. And as you walk around there, some of these sites are so precious for uh, the local people. So I think I've got some photos, if we can have that first photo up. Thanks. So this is uh, me at the, at the Western Wall, or the Wailing Wall, as you, you might have uh, heard it called. And uh, this is probably the most holy site for the people, the local Jewish people that are there. Uh, because to them, uh, it's the, the site that's still there, that's in situ, uh, closest to where the temple was. There were two different temples built. They were, had both been destroyed. Um, but the back of that, the temple, where the Holy of Holies was, directly underneath uh, that, the wall uh, still stands. And so, so many people... Uh, go and visit there each and every day and, and pray. And you can probably see, um, it's a, bit, a little bit hard to make out, but all those in the gaps uh, of, the, of the rocks there, they're all little prayers that people have folded up and, and put into the wall uh, because they see that as a holy place. For me, the most holy place, if we can go to the next picture, uh, was uh, this next place in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, to me, that was amazing because that's where Jesus knelt down. He, he sweat drops of blood on that soil in that, in that place. And they say that some of those olive trees that are there could have actually been there, uh, could actually be 2,000 years old and could have actually been there when Jesus prayed that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. To me, that's the most powerful prayer that was prayed. Reverse the proclamation that Adam and Eve made in the Garden of Eden. Not your will, God, but ours be done. But surprisingly, this next location uh, kind of got me too. If we can have that next uh, picture up. Thanks, Austin. So this one where I am standing, sort of the, the, uh, the road under my feet there, is the road that Jesus himself would have walked at least three times a year, every year that he was on earth, because every good Jewish boy and then Jewish man would come to Jerusalem at least three times a year for the, for the festival of booths or tents, uh, for Pentecost, and of course for Passover. And so Jesus, three times a year, for 33 years, so 99 times he walked that road that I'm standing on. 
Because just down the bottom of this road is the, the pool of Siloam, which is still there. And so they would have to go and ceremonially wash in that pool to make themselves clean and, and prepared, just as Brock was talking about, that they couldn't come into the presence of God unless they were cleaned and prepared. So they would go to the, the pool of Siloam and then they would walk that road uh, to go in and celebrate in the temple. So I, can, I could just imagine as I was standing there, Jesus, that last time, as he entered Jerusalem for the Passover, going down and washing, but sort of knowing that he was going to actually be that sacrificial lamb of the Passover, that he was going to allow his blood to be shed and his body to be broken for us. The other thing that's amazing is if you can see kind of in the background there, look at the size of the, the stones in the wall. The stones are absolutely massive. So the wall itself uh, currently is about 30 metres tall in, in some places. So like twice the height of the Murray Bridge Bridge. It's, it's, a, it's a massive structure. But it's been built upon, um, so year after year, different people that came through um, built different uh, parts to the wall to make it higher and higher because the wall kept getting destroyed and, and knocked down. But it's possible that some of those uh, lower uh, stones there were laid by a guy called Nehemiah. When he came back, um, he was in exile uh, in, in Babylon. The people had been taken away. And then in 444 BC, he came back um, to rebuild uh, the wall. But of course, he couldn't kind of do it by himself. Like some of those uh, stones are... But the biggest one that they've found is about 13 metres long and would have weighed 520 tonne. 520 tonne. So it's kind of pretty amazing that in Nehemiah 6 verse 15 it says, so the wall was completed in 52 days. In 52 days, they made this wall metres high with these big, massive stones. And in 52 days, Nehemiah did what the entire nation was trying but failed to do for 70 years. But how? I mean, they had no cranes, they had no trucks, they had no diamond-tipped saws, they had no... Bunnings to run down to the corner to, to, you know, grab a snag with the onion on the top and the drill or whatever they needed to complete the job. So how did he do it? There was lots of reasons why they couldn't, why they shouldn't. I mean, what tools did he use? There was a lot of physical opposition to him rebuilding this wall. But there was also relational and spiritual opposition. 
which we know from experience is actually far worse. Nehemiah 4 says this, And our enemies said, We will be right there among them. We'll kill them. We'll put an end to their work. We'll do it before they even know it or see us. Then the Jews who lived near our enemies came to us. They told us ten times, No matter where you are, they'll attack us. So who is they? Who is going to stop them from building this wall? This wall is a good thing. And how could they do it? How could they be so close among them? How, how were they living among them, these people? I mean, we would think that if someone's going to oppose the building of this wall, that then the people could live in safety and protection behind this wall, that it would be Babylon, the people that had taken them into exile. But it wasn't them. Babylon had given them permission, had given them blessing, had given them resources to actually be able to complete the wall. It was actually some of their own. People that had lived in the land of Israel, people that, in fact, when the exile happened and the the Babylonians came and tried to take them away. They fleed outside the walls before they were destroyed and they hid in, in these dark places to avoid capture, to avoid people coming after them. And they thought that that was what made them safe, that they didn't need a wall, that they could just continue to hide in the darkness. And I think sometimes we think the same thing too. That we don't need to build a wall. We don't need to come into that holy place. That if we can just continue to hide in the darkness, everything will be okay. So this guy, whose name was Sanballat, his name literally means God of sin, was trying to draw the people outside the wall. He was trying to discourage them. He was trying lots of different ways to stop the building of the wall from happening. As a church, we're called to build. We're called to build in 2023. But our biggest battle against building is not going to come from without But just like for Nehemiah, it's going to come from within. When we try to hide in those places of darkness, hoping everything is just going to be okay. Now, I wish that I could tell you, give your life to Jesus and everything's just going to be rosy. Everything's just going to be great. Who's experienced that? No. In fact, when you give your life to Christ, there is going to be opposition. And in 2023, like Nehemiah, you are going to face opposition. When you try to build anything, it's hard. 
But when you're trying to build something eternal, something spiritual, then there's going to be spiritual battles that we are going to have to face. You see, before returning uh, to Jerusalem to build the wall, Nehemiah had a job. It was a pretty cushy job. He got to be the king's cupbearer in Babylon, which meant that he lived in the palace. He had the protection of the palace. And so he could have stayed there in that job, in that role, his entire life. As king's kids, we're saved. We're heaven-bound. So we too could choose to stay in the safety of this palace. Just be in the presence of the king until we're called home to heaven. That's one way we could choose to spend our 2023. Or maybe we could be like Sanballat. Live a life like him. He too was part of the nation of Israel. But rather than help Nehemiah to to build the wall, he was determined to pull it down. And so we've seen that many people in 2023 decide to live their lives this way. There's this whole way of living that's called deconstructionism. Maybe you've heard about it. The deconstructionist movement exists to pull down anything that sets itself up to build something, to build any kind of structure, good or bad. They want to pull down the police force designed to protect us. They want to pull down the government established to serve us. They see that there's corruption and hypocrisy and think that their life's mission, that their life's calling is to pull down those things. Others want to pull down the family unit, the role of a father, what it means to be a woman. Because maybe their father or their mother failed them. We want to pull down anything and everything with authority. Because people with authority can often misuse that power, even within the church. So if Nehemiah had decided, like we can decide, to sit back in the palace and do nothing, he would have been safe. If he decided to live like Sam Ballot, hiding in the shadows, following the God of sin, becoming a, a deconstructionist, a critic, and just spend his life pulling stuff down thinking we don't need a wall to protect us. We've been safe from attack up until now. We don't have anything because critics build nothing, so they have nothing to defend, and they think that that makes them free, and that makes everybody equal because no one can stand behind a wall. But equally, not only do they not have anything to defend, they also have nothing of value to protect. 
So what did Nehemiah decide to do? How did he decide to live his life in the face of this opposition and also in the face of this comfort that was provided for him in the palace? He built. Nehemiah 4. It says, So I stationed some people behind the lowest parts of the wall. That's where our enemies could easily attack us. They had their swords and their spears and their bows with them. I said, don't be afraid of your enemies. In other words, be strong and courageous. Remember the Lord. He is great and powerful. So, fight for your families. Fight for your sons and daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. Now, as a church, we could say, well, we're kind of big enough for a country town. We're blessed in that we don't owe anything to the bank on this property at all. The third of people that come here that do tithe, bring in enough money to pay me a good salary. So we could just spend 2023 saying, yep, pull up the ladder, close the doors. We can sit in here and sing Kumbaya and tell each other prophecies about how bad the world is outside and just wait for signs of the end times to come. But that builds nothing. That is not what we are called to. We are called to build and battle. If we sit back in fear or we rise up in deconstructionism, we might be okay. But what was Nehemiah's plea? Our families, our sons, our daughters, our wives, our home, our workplaces, our schools, our friends are left with no wall and no palace. They are vulnerable. And Nehemiah reminded them that this is why we are called to build and to battle. Together as a church community, we are called to build what is called the kingdom of God in 2023. And if we decide to do this, we are going to face opposition. So we need to be prepared. If we're going to build, we need to be prepared to battle. And we can't do it alone. Those stones were too big for Nehemiah to shift on his own. And in 2023, if you decide to build, there are going to be stones that are going to come across your path that are going to be too big for you to shift on your own. We need community. We need each other. We can't just do it sitting back in our palace watching online. We need to be a part of this community and do it together. And so next week, Tash is going to share on our vision for 2023. 
And if you haven't guessed or heard in the last two days, that S and C on that logo stands for strong and courageous. But just like Nehemiah, standing up there in front of that pile of rubble as he approached Jerusalem for the first time, that once holy city, tasked with the job of rebuilding those broken walls. I'm sure that after 2020 and 2021, 2022, with COVID, government restrictions and masks and vaccines and fires and floods and plagues of mosquitoes and whatever else has been thrown your way, you might know exactly how Nehemiah must have felt. You might feel as though you've been in exile isolated from family and friends, now standing in front of this pile of rubble that you used to call hope, that you used to call faith, but now stands crumbled before you. So how can we stand strong and courageous and be told to build again, to battle again, just as we are. I mean, surely Nehemiah must have stood there and thought, if only I had a crane to lift these bricks out the way. If I, I'll just I'll sit back and I'll wait for situations and circumstances to change. If only I had the right tools, if only I had the right equipment... I could do this all on my own. But he didn't do that. He equipped and resourced the people that stood before those that stood alongside him. He equipped those who were living in the city. The husbands, the wives, the people that he just mentioned. In Nehemiah 4.17 it said, The builders and their helpers had their tools in one hand and a weapon in the other. The builders and the helpers. Builders are skilled. They know what they're doing. And so you might go, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to build the kingdom." But everyone was involved because they were either a builder or they were a helper. So if you are in that place of fear and trepidation and you say, I can't be a builder, well then today God is calling you to be a helper. To pick up a tool, to pick up a weapon and stand alongside the people either side of you. So I need... Some helpers. Who am I going to pick? Two Jacobs. Easy enough. Can you guys come up the front here? (laughs) 
tool in one hand. Who wants to hold what? The sword. The hammer. All right. We're men. We have things. The slashiest, bashiest things that we could find. And so now we feel strong and courageous, don't we? Because we have these things in our hands. And so a temptation can be if we just have these things in our hands, if we can just have the right things in our hands, if, if we had enough money, if we have enough uh, position, if we just get that job, if we just you know, get that acceptance, if our family just behave right, if we can just hold on to the right things first, then we'll be strong and courageous. But the problem is, if we pick up the tools, the weapons beforehand, and we don't know what they're used for, and we're just standing around with the slashiest, bashiest things that we can find, then as we walk through life, we're just going to slash and bash rather than build. As you've heard me say before, always start with the end in mind. And as I was talking about last night, for those that were here, the tool should match the job. We always start with the job, the task, the purpose, knowing our identity, knowing who we are. We're not slashes and bashes. We're people made in the image and likeness of Christ. And so when we go to build, we go to build people into the image and likeness of Christ. And we battle against anybody or anything that would stop us from worshipping, stop us from doing those things. But too often we get things around the wrong way. We think the only way I can be strong and courageous is if I first hold these things. But let me demonstrate what can happen if we pick up the tools first before we're clear on what the job is. So you guys right now, you feel pretty strong and courageous, don't you, just holding these things? You're probably a little bit worried about what's coming and that you're standing in front of everybody, but it feels pretty good. But what is our actual job? What is our actual purpose? Brock, if you can bring out that table, thanks. Well, what do the Scriptures say our job is? In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it says, Do everything in love. Do everything in love. That's our job, that's our purpose. Do everything in love. And so we study these things called love languages. And I don't know what every single person's love language in here is, but I think most people in here, your love language is chocolate. Is that right? <laughs> yeah? Proverbs 32 verse 1 says, Spread love as thick as Nutella. 
doesn't actually say, there is no Proverbs 32, but uh, who thinks that should be a proverb? Okay, so, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob Galash, your job is using only the sword and holding the end of the sword, spread Nutella as thick as love. Okay, now, you can't use your other hand. This is your tool, okay? Now, for those that don't know, Jacob and Michaela have just started dating. So, what you do here with this Nutella, you're going to then give to Michaela, and this is going to show her how much you love her by how well you spread this Nutella on the bread. All right, would you, would you, like, to, would you like to go and give that to her? Oh, I need another hour yet. Need another hour. <laughs> Okay, can you get it to her? I have to use... Oh. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. You can, <laughs> you can leave that here and you can go and sit down. Fantastic. Give him a round of applause. Okay. Now, we have another scripture for you, Jacob. Let's have the next scripture up. We had this scripture last night. So Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has prepared for us long ago. God has prepared for you to do something good this morning, Jacob. You're going to create a masterpiece using only the sledgehammer and the paint. So you're going to, everybody in here is a masterpiece. I want you to, to pick someone and do a portrait of them and then give it to them to show them just what you think of them. Off you go. No, you have to use the, you have to, yeah. This is a sledgehammer. It's like, <laughs> All right, we'll give you a bit of time to, to do that, make it, make it good, no, no, you, you, just, yeah, one hand, just make your best portrait you can using that. You see, all of a sudden... Knowing what the job is, those slashy and bashy things are maybe not the best tools for this job. That if Jacob had have had a small knife, a delicate knife, a scalpel even, that he had control over, 
would have been a lot better and he could have shown much more love to Michaela. And the drawing, the painting, if Jacob had... (laughs) If Jacob had a, a paintbrush... I'm sure he could have done a better job. He hasn't actually done too bad. Who is it of, before we reveal? Um, so, because I saw yellow, I wanted to someone with blonde hair. Yeah. So, and then, I don't even think he's got blonde hair, but I saw Brock at the back. Brock. So, there you go. <laughs> Would you like to give that to Brock and you can grab your seat? Beautiful. Thank you so much. Where did I put my cloth? Here we go. So, if we had different tools, we could have shown them that we loved them better. Nehemiah decided to build, but to protect and defend the ones that he loved. And so then he picked the tools accordingly. And we need to do the same. It's not the tools, it's not the circumstances that made him strong and courageous. He didn't bash and slash for the sake of it. He built and battled. And last night, for those that were here, we spoke about 2023. And 2023 being a year for worship and mission. Worship is what takes place inside the wall. The people were actually building inside the wall. If you see that they were were standing behind the wall as they were building. And so worship is what we do inside the walls. Mission is what we do for those people outside the walls. I said last night, mission should exist where worship doesn't. We only do one of those two things. We're in a place of worship and in places where there is no worship, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, then it becomes a place of mission and there's different tools for different roles. Just like for the Israelites building the wall with Nehemiah, we need a tool for building in one hand and the weapon for battle in the other. We need both worship and mission. The building creates a safe place and a reason to worship and the mission, the battle as we read in Scripture, is not against flesh and blood, but against anything that would get in the place of worship. And as I said last night, our greatest weapon in battle is joyful obedience. That worship is really joyful obedience. So either we're in times where we are joyfully obedient and we call that worship, And where we see that not taking place in our world, 
our joyful obedience needs to shine so that others will see just how good this idea of joyful obedience is. This is what Nehemiah came to realise as he said in chapter 8, verse 10. Don't be sad because the joy you have in the Lord is your strength. Not your tools, not how smart you are, not how much you read the Bible, not how many times you come to church. You don't need a crane or a truck or a sledgehammer or a sword to be strong and courageous. You aren't called to battle the government or the police or the stock market or that other person going for the promotion. The battle isn't for the acceptance of your mother or to be more like your brother. Your primary fight isn't even against addictions or sin or the devil. We are called to resist those things because they oppose us, but we don't fight them because Jesus already defeated them on the cross. The battle is simply going to be to keep the joy of the Lord before you, to let the joy of the Lord be your strength no matter what 2023 throws at you. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to bring that joy of the Lord to the people who don't yet have it, who don't yet know it. Luke 10, Jesus said this, Later, the 70 came back full of joy. Lord, they said, even evil spirits obey us when we use your name. Yes, Jesus, uh, returned Jesus. I was watching it and I saw Satan fall... Uh, Fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. It is true that I have given you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and to overcome all of the enemy's power. There is nothing at all that can do you any harm. Yet, it is not your power over the evil spirits that should give you such joy, but the fact that your names are written in heaven. I've had people come and ask me to talk to their unchurched friends. And at first I said, great, like what, what do you want me to, to share with them? And then they've said, like, you know all that science-y kind of God stuff that you know? We want you to, to go and slash them down. We want you to just to beat them and destroy their, their argument. Go and slash and, and bash. But that doesn't build anything. That's destroying. Destroying a, a precious person who Jesus died to save. I will only battle in order to build. That was not my fight. I've had other people say, Josh, you need to sign this petition against the government. If you don't sign this petition 
and speak out on the platform about how bad and controlling the government are, we're not coming bash and slash. But it builds nothing. That's not my fight. It's not your fight. But then two weeks ago, I had a family from Adelaide. Never come to church. Never been to a church. They didn't know me. They found me on Facebook because their six-year-old daughter had gone onto YouTube and YouTube had told her how to make a homemade Ouija board out of paper and pencils. And so she did it and it worked. The pencils moved. She communicated with the demonic, allowed the demonic into the house, and they started to become oppressed by this demonic presence to the point where it physically harmed their older daughter. And so I could have said, not my fight. You live in Adelaide, I don't know you. I sit back in my palace. I'm okay. You're not going to come to my church. You're not going to tithe to my church. Nothing to do with me. But could it build the kingdom? So I went down to Adelaide. Sounds scary, sounds weird, but this is the battle that sometimes we are called to. I went down not with a, a sledgehammer. I went down. Did I delight in smashing and bashing the demonic forces that were in that house? No. But I did delight in the fact that five precious people allowed me to pray with them, inviting Jesus into their heart and into their home, writing their names forever in heaven's book. I battled only to build. In three weeks' time, I've asked Pastor Jake from our Sunday Mount Barker Church to come here and ask you for money. And some of you are like, but didn't we like already pray for him and send him off and give him heaps of money to start the church? Aren't we going to need money real soon? We've been waiting for 12 months for this council approval and we're finally through to the last round. And so aren't we like, we want to build a canopy to see our young people have a, a place to, to gather through the week. We want to build a canopy to, to see precious people in, in our community come behind the wall and have a safe place to gather from the sun, the wind and the rain in the house of God. If we give money to him, then we're not going to have as much left for us. I mean, after all, what does he need money for? To build. The building that they are in has a capacity of 90 people and they are almost 
full. And so long as there is one person outside that wall, just one, then no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, no matter how hard the battle, as long as there is one person outside that wall that needs to come in, that needs to come into this place of worship and experience the love and the overwhelming joy that we have experienced because we know that living God, because we have come behind that wall and we've felt His love and embrace, then we will fight no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes. As long as there is one, we will go. Outside of that wall, we're fighting for them to bring them in. So we will be strong and courageous. We will go on mission outside of these walls and we will worship within them. We will build and we will battle in 2023 and beyond. Would you stand as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for what you have called us to. It's not going to be easy. Whenever we decide to build anything, there is going to be opposition. Not from without, but from within. But Lord, I pray that you will remind us, just like you did to Nehemiah, what or who we are fighting for. Our sons, our daughters, our husbands, our wives, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our family and friends who do not yet know the love of Christ. And as long as there is one person outside of those walls, then we will go on mission. Snatch people from the gates of hell and bring them back because you have promised in your word that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so we can be strong and courageous. Lord, not because of who we are, how strong we are, or the tools in our hands, or that the circumstances are perfect, but we can be strong and courageous because you have called us to build your church and all of your promises are yes and amen. So Lord, we gather together to worship you now. In Jesus' name, let's worship church. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, 
our home.